the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Rosenthal Wealth Management. It's time now for Making Money Sense, live with Larry Rosenthal. Larry is recognized as one of the nation's leading financial and retirement planners and is here to answer your questions right now. Author, speaker, and talk show host Larry Rosenthal is dedicated to teaching others financial stewardship from a biblical point of view. Call Larry now. Studio lines are open at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Making Money Sense is on the air. Well, welcome once again to the Larry Rosenthal Show, Making Money Sense. And you don't look like Larry Rosenthal, Dana. I don't sound like him either. (laughs) Dana is in the house for Larry Rosenthal here today on today's Making Money Sense. And your calls are very well welcomed. If you'd like to call 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123 to talk to Dina Arnett in studio for Larry here today. Good morning, Dina. Good good morning. It is so good to see you. You too. Before we get started on everything, I want to make sure our listeners know that Larry will be doing a webinar uh, for anyone who wants to register. He's going to be doing that on Monday. It's going to be at noon Eastern and again at 6 p.m. Eastern if you want to sign up for that. I think it's a great time to do so. Uh, Larry's going to be talking about the markets, the economy, inflation, the Fed. There's so much going on right now, and Larry's got a real good message to deliver. So if our listeners want to sign up for that, they can go to RosenthalWealthManagement.com, click the Seminars button, and you can register for either the noon or the six or both. Yeah, we've done a lot of those. They're a lot of fun, and we take your questions, too. So if you've got a few questions you'd like to line up for that webinar, do that. Do that in advance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And we'll be reminding you of that throughout the show today. Indeed. (sighs) Difficult week this past week. Yeah. Uh, you know, we we were all, and I say we all, um, people in my industry were sort of on pins and needles waiting for this inflation report that came out yesterday. Mm-hmm. And like most of us expected, we we did not get a reduction in the month-over-month inflation. The number that came out yesterday was for the month of May, and it was up a bit from the month of April. So now... The next thing on the docket, the Fed meets this coming week, and their commentary on Wednesday afternoon, we're all going to be listening to it because that's going to tell us what the Fed sees uh, coming toward us in the coming months. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a scary situation, actually, from where we were last time, last year about this time. I mean, it was scary last year, too, for, for different reasons. Well, this time last year, the Fed was telling us, don't worry about inflation. It's yeah. transitory. Yeah. Well, inflation has proven not to be transitory. It's a rather persistent little devil we're dealing mm-hmm. with. And the market certainly reflected that. This past week, the Dow was down 4.5%. The S&P was down a little over 5 The NASDAQ, which is composed of a whole lot of technology stocks, the NASDAQ was down a little over 5.5%. 
this week. So if you're keeping score, the Dow is down 13.6% for the year. The S&P is now down a little over 18% for the year. The NASDAQ down 27.5%. Yeah, and gas is up. You know, so much of the struggle that we have in our markets right now is due to this inflation problem. Mm -hmm. And the inflation problem's got a lot of layers to it. The, the ones that our policymakers directly impact are fiscal policy, which is that spending policy that comes out of Congress, and monetary policy, which is the controlling of the money supply. That's under the purview of the Federal Reserve Bank and their board of governors. So earlier this year, the Fed acknowledged that they missed the boat on inflation last year, and they were going to enact a series of interest rate hikes this year to try and combat that. So far, what we've seen are one half a percentage point rate hikes. I expect we'll get at least that this coming week. Given this latest inflation number, maybe we'll get more. I don't know. That's kind of a revelation that uh, inflation is really caused by interest rates more than anything else. You were telling me that earlier. So, Well, there's there's a number of pieces, and I think you know, people. Whenever we go into a market downturn, people want to want to uh, equate it to the sky falling and talk about how this time it's different. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think overall the market behavior this time is going to be any different than in past difficult times. But the catalyst is certainly different. We've undergone and and mostly recovered from a pandemic. We've still got global supply chain shortages, and, and much of that is coming out of China. They've got a zero lockdown policy, uh, or I'm sorry, a zero COVID policy where they're locking things down. They had eased that for a little bit. They're locking it back down again. Mm -hmm. We've got the Russia-Ukraine invasion. We haven't seen something like this in quite a long time, decades. And then we've got simply... A, a a Fed that allowed monetary policy to stay too loose for too long. Mm -hmm. We've got a Congress that allowed fiscal stimulus to continue too much too long. And now we've got an inflation problem. Yeah. If you look at it in that lens, it sounds very, very scary. But if I look at it from the broader perspective, I, I don't know about you, Chris, but we get a lot of questions about, well, you know, I, I, th I think we're going to go into recession this oh, year. Yeah, that's aren't, big, aren't we yeah. going into recession this year? And I still, I don't think so. I don't think we get recession this year. Inflation is certainly something that if it goes too long and if it gets too extreme, the Fed's actions to combat the inflation can certainly throw us into recession. That's why Larry's always talking about we hope the Fed can engineer a soft landing. And that soft landing is this balancing act that the Fed has to engage. They've got to raise interest rates enough to bring inflation down, but they don't want to raise them so much that economic activity stalls, and that throws us into recession. So when we talk about soft landing, it's really a balancing act. But if I look at all of the factors that go into determining if we're headed toward recession, you can look at a whole lot of different ones. I've got a list of about 12 of them. Things like housing permits, job sentiment, jobless claims, retail sales, wage growth, commodities, new factory orders, profit margins. There's this whole list of things. There's 12 of them. And, and the gauge that I use will, will give these different metrics a, a, a grade, if you will. 
A green arrow means two thumbs up, not recessionary at all. A red X means very bad. This is a recessionary signal. And yellow means eh, this is this could tip either way. It's cautionary. We're going to watch it. Mm-hmm. So of my 12 metrics that I watch for determining whether a recession is imminent, guess how many of my metrics are showing me the big red X? I don't know. One. Wow. One of 12. I've got three of 12 that are that are flashing me a yellow caution light that they could go one way or the other. So we have to keep a, an eye on those three things, commodities, credit spreads, money supply. Everything else is green. Hmm. The overall, if, if I look at these indicators as of the end of May, so what, two weeks ago? As I look at these indicators, they're not flashing recession today. I don't think we get recession in the year 2022. In fact, one of the big things that we look at to determine whether things could go into recession or not uh, is housing. Housing is a huge component of the inflation issue. And when housing turns dramatically, that can be a very large recessionary signal. You may be getting some evidence of significant slowdown in certain pockets, but overall, not. Uh, Case in point, my next-door neighbor sold her house uh, in under 24 hours just last weekend. Oh, yeah, yeah, the housing market's still really hot. The housing market is still hot. We are going to see some signs of slowdown. It is inevitable. And let me tell you something. CNBC and Fox Business and CNN Money and all these places want to want to flash these sensationalistic mm-hmm. headlines, lowest lowest uh, uh, new permits number in five years. That's a recessionary signal. No, it's a slowdown signal. And what is the Fed actively trying to do right now? Yeah, they're trying to slow things down so that we can get inflation under control. The way we control inflation is by slowing down the things that are costing too much money. And again, back to the Fed tightrope, they've got to find a way to do this without doing too much. So the average person out there, he hears the word recession and he goes, I don't know, gassing's really high. Things seem like kind of in a bad place right now. What does recession really mean then? I mean, is it... Well, recession and inflation are two different things, okay? Mm -hmm. We're feeling inflation. You feel it when you go to the gas pump. I do. We feel it when we go to the grocery store. And I don't know about you, but I I had to fly home a couple of months, fly home to Nashville for a family funeral a couple of months ago. And the price of my airline ticket was about three times what it was just a year ago. Some of that's the inflated gas price, and some of it is, I believe, airlines trying to recoup with some of what they lost during COVID. So we're feeling the inflation impact. It's costing us more to do the things we want and need to do. Mm -hmm. Recession, recession means that economic activity has slowed and our GDP, our gross domestic product has turned negative. That's the number that we use to determine how productive our country is. That's one of the metrics that economists look at to determine if we are, in fact, in recession. If I have two quarters where GDP growth is negative, two consecutive quarters is the textbook definition of recession. We haven't seen that. I see. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't 
want to see that, especially <laughs> while inflation is high no. like it is. That's one of the headlines you're reading a lot, and especially in Europe, people are a, economists and, and financial types are talking about stagflation. Mm -hmm. And stagflation is where you have high inflation and recession. You mix those two together. We haven't seen that since the 70s. Well, it that's not the kind of nostalgia I would want to re relive myself. No, <laughs> it, it makes for sensationalistic headlines, but I don't think that's a, a reality this year. Mm -hmm. okay. Now, if I look at how the Fed is combating inflation, they're raising interest rates. And on the other side, they're looking at what's called their balance sheet. How many bonds and other assets does the Fed own? Mm -hmm. When the Fed's buying up a lot of U.S. treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, they are injecting liquidity into the economy. They did it in the 08 recession. They did it in the COVID recession. What they're doing right now is they're allowing those bonds that they purchased during that time to mature, and they're not rebuying them. So they're reducing money supply by raising interest rates, making borrowing more expensive, but they're also pulling back on the excess liquidity that they threw into the monetary system by virtue of buying those bonds. Mm -hmm. They're letting them mature, and they're not buying back, thus shrinking the Fed's balance sheet. So they're coming at this from two different angles. And then this past week, we've got uh, – uh, the president and Congress talking about how to perhaps soften some of the tariffs on goods coming in from China. Tariffs are inflationary, so they're looking to work with that system as well. Everyone's on high alert now. They all know that, that inflation is high and that inflation is persistent. And finally, we've got our monetary policymakers and our fiscal policymakers acknowledging it and working actively to bring it down. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen overnight, but the sky is not falling. Okay. Well, that is good news uh, to some extent. I mean, it's still a little bit, a little bit unnerving where things are at the moment, but it's going to well, be Well, sure it is. Yeah. The last time inflation was this high, I was 11 years old, and Reagan was president. Wow. So so it's been a bit. You know, you're not supposed to be telling your age live on radio like that. Yeah, no. Because you don't look that way. You look much, much younger than that. Well, anyway. thank you. Suck <laughs> up to me all you wish. 855-767-3123 is a phone number to call. 855-ROSE-123. Tell you what, uh, Dina, we'll take a quick break and give people a chance to call in and ask questions if they'd like. If you'd like to watch us on television or on YouTube, if you'd like, LarryRosenthal.tv is the place to go. So we'll be back with more of the Larry Rosenthal Show in just a moment. So hang in there. You are listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. There are still too many countries that give little or no assistance to disabled children. In third world nations, these children could be left alone while parents try to eke out a living. About 10 years ago, residents of Prince William and Fauquier counties in Virginia formed Children with Disabilities Fund International. It focuses on the needs of disabled children. 
CDFI's current work in Jamaica and Kenya supports about 300 disabled children and their families. For some of these children, they're getting the care they need for the first time in their lives. CDFI recently began an individual child sponsorship program in an effort to better meet the needs of these disabled children. To choose your child to sponsor, go to thecdfi.org. That's thecdfi.org. Your gift will help transform not only a disabled child's life, but the lives of their parents and of the surrounding community. Go to thecdfi.org. Make a difference. Go to thecdfi.org. Call right now with your questions, 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123. Coast to coast from the nation's capital, this is the Larry Rosenthal Show. Welcome back to the Larry Rosenthal Show, 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. Dina Arnett is in studio with us and taking our phone call. So give us a call right now, and we'd love to hear from you. Dina? So, you know, in times like this, people get really, really worried they they're watching the the value of their 401k and thrift savings plan statements go down and and they're scared and i get that um people talk about going into a bear market and what does that mean so so i want to just throw some some facts to remember for our audience uh, when it comes to bear markets first of all when we talk about a bear market the measuring period is from what is called peak to trough. Where was the high point in the market? I believe it was January 3rd this year. And what is the the lowest point that you get? Most market watchers will say when a stock index drops at least 20% from its most recent high, that that is bear market territory. So when do we come out? When do we go back to the bull market? Well, when the closing price gains 20% from its low. So we've got this 20% on either side issue when we're talking about what is a bull and a bear market. And historically, stocks lose 36% in a bear market. That's a painful, painful number. Yeah, it is. But guess what? They gain 114% on average during a bull market. So it kind of makes up for itself, right? Hand over fist, yeah. hand yeah. over fist. I've I've long used the the marathon runner analogy. I um I trained for the Marine Corps marathon many moons ago, and one thing that I learned in training for a long distance run is that you have to stop and refuel. You have to stop mm-hmm. and tie your retie your shoes. You have to hydrate. You can't just run twenty six miles without a stop. No, no. Well, and the stock that, market very is people. very, very similar. The stock market is never going to just go and go and go and go and go without mm-hmm. taking a break to refuel. The The catalyst for that refueling is different just about every time. In 2020, the catalyst was COVID. This year, it's inflation. Bear markets are normal. They're a normal part of investor life. So if you're an investor... You should expect a couple of things. You should expect, on average, that you're going to get a correction, a pullback of 10% or more, every eight months on average. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And then as an investor, you should also understand that bear markets are part of that equation, too. In fact, there have been 26 bear markets in the S&P 500 index since 1928. But guess what? There's also been 27 bull markets. <laughs> it's always the other side of the coin, isn't there? Well, if, sure. If if the market was only ever going to go down, nobody would participate. That's right. It'd always be, if it was always going up, you'd always be making money. Gregory, Gregory's on the line with us from Maryland and has a question for you. Thanks for calling, Gregory. What's your question? Yeah, so what uh, are the tax implications of selling a stock held in the living trust? Oh, good then question. I have a question on, on another issue. Okay, so if it is your own revocable living trust, the tax implication is basically the same as if you sold it out of a standard brokerage account. So if you have a profit on the sale of a stock, there's two different ways that we can calculate your tax. So did you hold the stock longer than a year? Yes. Okay. So if you held the stock longer than a year, you will be subject to what's called the long-term capital gains rate. And how much you pay on a long-term capital gains rate depends on your tax bracket. For most people, we're going to pay a 15% long-term capital gains rate on the profit from the sale of that stock. So if you had $10,000 that you bought into the stock with and then you sold it for fifteen, your your $5,000 profit is what would be subject to that 15% long-term capital gains rate. Okay, so there's no a penalty for selling it if, if it's held in a living trust. It's just the same as if you just held it uh, without being in a trust. It is your own trust, correct? Okay, right, yes. Then no, no difference. The the second question, thank you for that answer. The second question is, is it better to have a 529 plan in a living trust or not? Ooh, let me think on that one for a moment, Gregory. Well, he's so, got some good questions this morning. Though. Well, and that's and that's a very, very good question. Mm-hmm. So on a 529 plan, the 529 plan usually has one owner and one beneficiary. When I set up 529 plans for my clients, I have an owner, and then I have what's called a successor owner, somebody who can step in and manage the 529 plan on behalf of the beneficiary if the original owner is no longer around to do so. So the question becomes, is it better to have that 529 plan owned by the trust? I don't know. I'm going to go out on a limb. I've never researched this one before, but I'm just trying to logic through it, Gregory. We most often use a revocable living trust because of a handful of things. We don't want our estate to go through probate when we die. We want things to stay private after we've passed. And perhaps we want to control how money is distributed once we have passed. If those three things are applicable in your situation, you could make the trust the, the I would say, perhaps contingent owner or successor owner. But if there's no desire truly to control the money from the grave, the privacy bit and the out-of-probate part of that conversation, those two already exist. 
by virtue of that 529 plan having a beneficiary listed on it. It wouldn't be a probatable asset anyway. So, So I think that if you wanted to exert some, you know, control from heaven on the 529 plan, perhaps that's a, a viable reason to have the trust own it, not run across that. Okay. I hope okay, that made sense. I asked was based on the fact that my sister is making me responsible if they pass, her, her husband and her pass, I'll be the executor of that living trust. And, and all of this money will go to the children, and I'm supposed gotcha. to ensure that it, get, it gets done. So I need to have some answers on these questions. Absolutely, and I hope that I hope that this conversation includes an attorney uh, on your sister's part because it's always good to get legal advice in the state where all of this is happening. Exactly. Thank you so much for your answers. You've been very helpful. Gregory, you are thanks. most welcome. Thank you for listening to the show. Appreciate you calling here today, and thanks for calling. Uh, Jay is on the line with us. I guess it's J.D. from Virginia. He's got some questions for you. J.D., go ahead. What's your question? Good morning. How are y'all? Good. Um, Hi, J.D. So this is kind of a financial for the, for the country um, thing. If we continue to send money to Ukraine and the amounts that we're sending them, how will that affect the economy because it's putting a – you know, I, w- I would say it's putting a strain and, and undue um, finances on the country. And also the secondary to that, if we have all these immigrants coming across from Mexico and all the other places they're coming from, how is that going to be – how is that going to affect inflation and all the costs over the next few years due to all of the influx of people that aren't going back and giving into the tax system? Hmm. Okay, so those are those are some <laughs> some pretty loaded questions. Um, so th- the first one had to do with money that we're shipping to Ukraine, and yes, and ma'am. and other countries because we send billions sure, out of this we country do. every year. So we do, and and whether or not we agree with it is a side matter. Okay, yes, I'm going to talk that's purely that's about the the dollars <laughs> and the cents of it. Okay. If we look at the United States budget, we bring in trillions of dollars a year in tax revenue alone. So to send a billion here, a billion there, it's a drop in the bucket in our federal budget. Now, if we do it for years and years and years and billions become trillions, Okay, then I can see where long term that could cause a strain on our federal budget. And when we get a strain on the federal budget, they raise taxes. And when they raise taxes, we have less money to spend. And it's a vicious cycle. Right. So I can see where in the long term, if this goes on for for decades, I can see where it becomes a real strain. But a billion on top of a trillion truly is a drop in the bucket. So I'm of of the whole list of things that I'm really worried about economically right now. That's not one of them, not today. Okay. okay. The immigration issue um, is is kind of a similar thing, um, and I don't have the latest statistics on how many people are flowing in and and coming across the border and getting into our various social support systems. I don't have those numbers. 
I do know that when we have immigration and it is done legally and people are paying their taxes and contributing that way, that's that can be a net positive. But not having all of the all of the facts and figures today, I, I truly, uh, J.D., that's just not something that I can really estimate for you. But okay. again, well, not mean, on my all, top I mean, ten. I understand all those answers. Those are, those are great answers. I just, you know, I'm looking at my, my grandkids' future is what I'm looking at. Sure. And can I sneak one more thing in real quick? Would you okay, I'll give you one more. <laughs> would you buy gold now or not? Like little mini bars, would you buy them at this point, or is that not a good investment? I want actual possession. Is that okay. actually a good thing right now or a bad thing? It, if you're going to hold the gold for a super-duper-duper duper long time, I can see where that may be a viable investment if you want something you can physically hold in your hands. Um, there are other metals out there besides gold. There's also real estate. There's There are a number of actual physical assets that you can buy. If we end up going into a recessionary type environment, you may be glad you've got gold. It may hold its value quite well. And there are a number of financial types, economists and all this, who make a compelling case that we're on the front end of what they call a commodities super cycle, where, you know, we've seen commodity prices very, very low for a very long time. They're making the case that we're going to see commodity prices continue to rise from here for a very long time. If that is true, then your gold should do well. Okay. Okay. That was a thing. Please make sure to put your number out at the end of the show. Um, I'd like to talk to you. Uh, okay. Happy to do it. Hey, J.D., this, the number you... Yep. JD, the number you called in on is actually the number that, that changes over to the, the office during the week. So you can call that same number. It's 855-767-3123. Yep. Thanks, JD. Appreciate it. Y'all have, a, y'all have a blessed week. See ya. You too, JD. Thanks. Bye-bye. Nelson's on the line from Missouri. What's your question today for uh, Dina? I have a couple of three, but they're, they're really simple and I think really quick. Uh, okay. I re- Dina, I realize that you have all different kind of clients and different kind of situations, but uh, how many of your clients are moving to cash and uh, about what percentage of cash? So right now we are not moving all to cash. Um, I have not entertained a single conversation this year where my clients moved entirely to cash. Oh, no, no, no. I don't mean entirely. I mean... Um, 20%, 25%, 10%. Are, are your clients, are you recommending for some of your clients to move more, a little bit more to cash? Not right now, no. And the reason the reason for that, Nelson, is because it is impossible to consistently time a market. If I get out of investments, even at a 10 or 20% level today, chances are I'm not going to know when it is time to put that money back into the market. And the biggest market returns tend to happen in the first two months after we hit that bottom. And if I miss it, I miss the biggest velocity. I miss the front end really big rebound on the bounce. So right now, no. Um, Again, as I've said a couple of times already today, the sky is not falling. This too shall pass. It might pass like a kidney stone and inflict its pain on the way out, but it'll pass. So at this point, that's not what I said. Most of them. 
That's not what I said. <laughs> For every single client we have, we've done their financial plan. We've done a risk evaluation, and their portfolios have some mix of stocks and bonds in them right now. The vast majority of my clients have a bond position already. So that's helping them to weather the, the market storms that we're having right now. For clients who have retired in the past handful of years, they are absolutely not 100% in the market. So it really depends on the client's circumstance as to what their current allocation is. Your question was, am I advising people to take 10 or 20% and go to cash? And my answer to you was no. Okay. Uh, you had uh, earlier, you talked about 12 metrics you looked at. What do you yes. consider the most important uh, flashing red light for um, recession? The most important flashing red light. I I can't assign a, an importance to any any one of them. Now, I will say for a long time at this firm, my focus was housing. So I was very, very tuned into the housing market, and that's what I would give my report on when we had our investment policy team meeting every month. Housing is a huge component of our overall GDP. It's a huge component of inflation. In fact, housing prices and the housing industry as a whole makes up about 40% of our inflation number. So if I'm looking and I'm saying, okay, what's a flashing signal that's going to get my attention? Probably housing. Okay. One last question, and uh, then I'll be through. I am, I am beginning... I'm beginning to have a strong bias toward individual stocks versus ETFs, mutual funds, et cetera. And the reason is that I'm, you know, I'm not an analyst, but I can understand if Apple is going down a little bit and then I want to buy more. But the people that manage our, my ETFs and mutual funds I don't know how they make the sausage, and, you know, I, I'm not sure they know anything more than anybody else. Do you mm -hmm. want to comment on that? You know, there, th that's actually a really good question, and there's no right or wrong answer on that, Nelson, okay? So I understand wanting to buy individual stocks because, hey, you pay your commission to buy the stock, and until you're ready to sell it, there's no more cost for it. That's fantastic. But there's also a risk there as well, right? I've put all my eggs for those dollars in one single basket, and if I'm wrong, it can be pretty painful. That's why we buy ETFs. That's why we buy mutual funds, because most investors don't have enough capital to go out and replicate what a fund manager is doing. If I've got an ETF, that's, that's a pretty set thing. There are some actively managed ETFs out there, but that's not the majority of what people are buying. They're buying indices. So they're very, very cheap, and there's no trading that occurs in them. So you're talking about if Apple's going down, I know I might want to buy a little bit more of it. That type of thing's not going to happen inside an ETF, exchange-traded fund. In an actively managed mutual fund, that kind of thing is going on. The, the mutual fund managers, they look at things very differently than you and I do. I look at, I'm going to pick on Tesla, okay? I like Tesla stock. This is not a stock recommendation, just use it as an example, okay? I just found that Tesla has applied to do a three-for-one stock split. 
Might I be inclined to buy a little bit more? Maybe. Because when a company issues a stock split, they are reducing the price per share of their stock to attract more investors. Might that increase demand on an individual stock? Sure. So I do see opportunities like that. And a mutual fund manager is seeing that too. But a mutual fund manager also has a charter that they must go by, which determines what types of stocks they can sell, how much of a particular type of stock they can maintain in the portfolio, what their optimal stocks versus bonds mix, if it's one of those balanced type funds. I th- my All of that to say, Nelson, I think it's good to have some of each. There are some areas where the active management truly pays for itself. There are some areas where it doesn't. And then perhaps you want to have individual stocks to bolster the whole thing, because when individual stocks move, they tend to move pretty rapidly one direction or the other, right? So I think the the ultimate portfolio is going to have some of all of that. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Nelson, appreciate the phone call. God bless. Darcy is on the line with us from Florida. Hello, Darcy. Hi, Darcy. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking my call. Thanks uh, for listening. My question. Oh, thank you. My question is, we have a successor trustee to um, my great uncle's trust, mm-hmm. and we have some family beneficiaries, and we have a piece of property that is pending contract pending the sale. Um, the main successor trustee passed away, and we were able to locate the last successor trustee, who's 81 now. And my question is, would the successor trustee have the power to appoint one of the other beneficiaries to take his place as successor trustee? It depends on whether or not that is written into the trust document. The trust document is going to lay out the powers that the trustee has. It doesn't matter that this is now the third successor trustee, okay? When when a successor trustee steps up and becomes trustee, that trust document delineates very, very clearly what that trustee can do. So without reading the document, I don't know the answer to your question. I would have a legal professional read that document and help you all determine what this new trustee is allowed to do. Perhaps they can appoint, perhaps they cannot. Okay, very good. That's very clear. Thank you so much. Of course. Anything else? <laughs> That's it today. Okay. All right, Darcy, you take care. Take care, Darcy. Thanks for the call. Kelly's from Alabama. She's got a question, or he. I don't know which. Kelly, welcome. Kelly, are you with us? No, I guess Kelly. Nope, I guess Kelly. No, Kelly. Off. Yeah, I hope it was. Uh, I hope I hate. I got the the uh, the correct uh, uh, male or female there. So I don't know. Anyway, hope it didn't offend you, Kelly. Call us back eight five five seven six seven three one two three eight five five rose one two three. Let's say we take a quick break here. We've uh, been going for quite a little while here, and we'll be back with more of the Larry Rosenthal Show with Dina Arnett in studio today in just a minute. Stay tuned.
You are listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. And here's another Money Minute with Larry Rosenthal. So many different ways to invest money. Lump sum deposits, buy and hold, market timing. How about dollar cost averaging? Put the same amount of money into the same investment at every interval, whether it's monthly, quarterly, annually, whatever it may be. This gives you the greatest opportunity to get the average price over the long term of the investment because one of the secrets to creating wealth is the acquisition of shares. You want to keep buying more and more shares over time. On the flip side, when you're in your retirement years and you want to distribute dollars to yourself for income, do the same thing in reverse. Dollar cost average out during your retirement years. Fox Business, CNBC, and The Wall Street Journal. Larry Rosenthal is here right now to take your calls at 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123. This is The Larry Rosenthal Show. Welcome back to The Larry Rosenthal Show, 855-767-3123. It's the number to call and talk to Dina Arnett, who's live in studio here with us today. Dina, we've got uh, Kelly on the phone again, hopefully. Kelly, are you with us? All right, Kelly, what's your uh, what's your question for Dina? Well, first of all, I really enjoy the show and get a lot out of it. Um, Thank you. I'm one of those small-time, small-time investors. I have less than $100,000 in my portfolio. I got into, um, into the market late. Um, I had a 401k plan where I worked that I contributed to for years. The employers during the uh, recession in 08 quit contributing but I kept putting my money in. So I don't have a lot in there. And I'm also very skittish and inexperienced with the market. So that's one reason I enjoy your show. Here's my question. I'm in pretty good financial shape, I think. I've just recently retired at 66. I'm retired military, so I have income for life, and I have health care that's management. My wife is a retired federal employee, so she has her retirement for life. We basically owe no bills except our mortgage, which I've got about uh, half of the day of my house is all I owe. But I'm very skittish about the stock market, especially since I don't have very much in my portfolio. What advice would you give to someone like me that uh, is scared of the market, to be quite honest, hmm. about holding on? And, you know uh, what? That's... I'm going to hang up so I can listen a little bit better. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Kelly. So the question is, what's my advice to someone who is just scared of the market? That's a great question. And so much of the fear that I think individual investors feel about the market is just like what Kelly just said. I don't know much about it. So here's what I would say to anyone in Kelly's position. Don't invest in something you don't understand. I don't want you going out trying to find the next Microsoft or the next Tesla. 
keep it simple. The S&P 500 index is our broad stock market index here in the United States, and it is comprised of 500 of the largest companies in the entire country. These are very well-established companies with a lot of cash on the books, and they're names that you know, Procter & Gamble, Microsoft, um, Lowe's, Home Depot, American Express, J.P. Morgan, all big names that if I went down the list of all 500 companies, I bet you there might be one or two that you've never heard of. Maybe. They're really large companies. So when we invest in the S&P 500, we're not speculating. We're not swinging for the fences, taking super high risk, hoping for super high returns. We are investing in a known entity, and we're going for average returns. And over time, over the last 50 years, the S&P 500 has averaged between 9 and 10% a year. You're not going to get that in the bank. You're not going to get that at a CD or a money market or in some credit union investment. But in order to get that 9 to 10%, you've got to recognize a couple of things. First of all, markets go down. And if you sell out when the market is going down, you lose. You have to be able to ride the roller coaster ride. And the second thing is you've got to be able to wait. You've got to give that money time to grow. You're not going to get 9 or 10% every single year without fail. Some years you'll get 12 and the next year you might get 3. The next year you might get minus 10. You've got to stay invested long enough And have the confidence that you're investing in big, well-known companies and just understanding that big, well-known companies from time to time will have a hard time. If you're going to be an investor, it needs to be for a long term so that these so that these times like we're in right now. So we're roughly six months into a down market. Six months over a span of a lifetime of an investor is a drop in the bucket. So. Get invested into things that you understand, keep it simple, and don't babysit it. Markets go up, markets go down, markets come back. Mm. It's the individual investor that causes themselves to lose out on those average returns by trying to either outrun the market, outsmart the market, outtime the market. Studies have shown you can't do that consistently. Good answers. 855-767-3123. 855-ROSE-123 if you'd like to dial in. We've got a couple of calls here on hold, but I just wanted to take a quick second to talk about that webinar coming up. That's uh, right. On Monday at noon Eastern and 6 p.m. Eastern, you have an opportunity to hear directly from the president of our firm, Larry Rosenthal. He's going to be talking about the latest market and economic information. And after the inflation reading yesterday, I think you're going to want to hear what Larry has to say. Mm-hmm. You can go to our website, RosenthalWealthManagement.com, click on that seminar link, and then sign up. Register for the, the showing for the, for the webinar that you want. Again, noon Eastern and 6 p.m. Eastern. Kim is on the line from West Virginia. What's your question today, Tim, for uh, Dina? Well, um, I guess my, I, I don't know how exactly to phrase the question, but one of the things that concerns me is someone like myself knows nothing about the stock market. I know for my job, you know, when we have like, the retirement, I kind of just mixed it up a little bit of everything. Um but we're hearing all these things like on YouTube about economic collapse, pending economic collapse, and sure. 
um, prepping and all this other stuff, which is really kind of concerning. And I'm I'm just wondering, what does someone like myself, like what would be some um, just simple get started to educate yourself? Like where would I start? Sure, sure. Um, there are a lot of different books out there. There are a lot of different websites out there. One of the things um, I... I really, really encourage people to find local advisors. Those local advisors are having webinars. They're having classes at community colleges. There are so many different things out there that you could participate in, Kim. I would say start locally and look to see what's going on in your area. The very next thing I would say is sign up for the webinar that we're doing on Monday. Larry's going to talk about so much of the of the the things that are happening in our markets and in our economy, and you'll learn some things from that as well. Find a resource that you trust. Find a resource that has events that you can participate in and start there. We've got a a lot of different training on our website, RosenthalWealthManagement.com. You can start there as well. Okay, thank you very much. All right, thanks for calling. Appreciate that, Kim. 855-767-3123. 855-ROSE-123. Dina? You know, before um, before the break, I was talking about some bear market statistics. And here's, here's a really good one for people who are really nervous right now. 34% of the market's best days took place in the first two months of a bull market. Now, that sounds like a really good formula, but guess what? You don't know you're in a bull market until you're well past that first two months. (laughs) So what that says to me is the best way to weather a downturn is to stay invested because it's so hard to determine when the market will recover. I'll never forget in, in the wake of the 08 recession, we had been on this horrid, horrid downturn for months and months and months. And then Larry walked in one day and he says, "Okay, this is the bottom the worst of it's over. And I just looked at him because it still felt so terrible. I said, are you sure? He says, yes, I am. And he was dead right. But we didn't know until later in the year that he had been right. Hmm. You don't know it at the time. You look at the metrics, you look at the data and you make your call, but you don't truly know until you're well past it. And because of that inability to time it, you, I think investors have to stay invested or you'll miss it. You'll take all of that downturn, and you will miss the big bounce at the beginning. I think we're going to have to take Larry Rosenthal's clairvoyance training or something. That sounds amazing that he was able to call He did. That. He called it. I was a nervous Nelly, and he nailed it. <laughs> but but it's because the the bottom of a down market, there's no flashing signal. There's no one skywriting. The worst is over. Mm -hmm. It still feels absolutely awful because you've just endured this horrid downward roller roller coaster ride. And there's, you can't go by feeling. Yeah. There's no way to to know when to buy back in. Yeah. Yeah, That's the question. Yeah. Cause you have to look at, you have to look at data. You have to look to some degree at historic precedent and 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 again, you make your call. Mm-hmm. And if you're not comfortable with doing that, you have to stay invested and just just don't look. 
<laughs> Don't look at your stock. Gotcha. Well, well truly, yeah. the, the, the S&P 500 has a 100% track record of recovering its losses. There you go. It's the individual investor who messes it up every time, either trying to avoid the downturn or trying to get back in before the upturn. We can't time that. Gotcha. And we've got Ellery on the line with us from Maryland. Ellery, what's your question? Uh, good morning. I want to know, uh, can you summarize I-bonds and when is the best time to buy them and when is the best time to sell them? Ha-ha, great question. So I-bonds are inflation-adjusted bonds issued by the U.S. Treasury. A person can buy up to $10,000 per year into these inflation-adjusted bonds. The interest rate that you get on an I-bond is based on two components, a base rate and then an inflation adjustment. The current I-bonds, if you were to go on Treasury Direct right now and buy an I-bond, you could buy up to $10,000, and your interest for this first six-month period is going to be 9.6%. 100% of that interest number is an inflation adjustment. The base rate today is zero. So when's the best time to buy them? Well, you want to buy them when inflation is high and you want to sell them when inflation is low because on an on an I bond that has a 0% base rate, if inflation gets back down to 2 or 2.5%, it's not going to perform very well. It won't be your most exciting thing. The other thing to know about the I bond is that if you sell it before five years, they're going to take back the last three months of interest. You've got to hold them for at least a year. If you sell between years one and years five, you're going to give back three months' worth of interest. Anything after five years, you're keeping all your interest, and they don't mature for 30 years. So we're kind of running close here on time. We have some people on hold. I uh, just wanted okay. to make sure we kind of summarize what we've been talking about here today and talk a little bit about more of that webinar before we close out today. Certainly. So we're talking about bull and bear markets. And the one thing to understand about bear markets is they're normal. You're going to have bear markets, probably another handful of them in your lifetime. There have been 26 of them since 1928, but there have been 27 bull markets. The best way for you to make money in this market is to put together a financial plan with a portfolio that that matches your risk acceptance level. Monitor it. But don't babysit it. Don't try mm -hmm. to time in and out. Markets go up, markets come down, and markets recover. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, if you'd like to call in during the week, the phone number is 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. And Jane and Jim, hang on there. We'll get, get to you here in just a minute or so. We've got uh, the uh, end of the show coming up. But I want to talk just a second about that webinar coming up on Monday. It's a really exciting thing for you if you can get an opportunity to get on that. And it's easy to do. Just go to LarryRosenthal.com and sign up or RosenthalWealthManagement.com and sign up there at the webinars button, right? Is that how we do that, Larry? That's how we do it. We're going to have one at 6 o'clock Eastern Monday evening. And for those who want to do a lunch and learn, we'll have one at noon Eastern on Monday. Lunch and learn. I would, Lunch and learn. I would, yeah, I'm going to bring my own little snacks, and I'll learn and just by listening there. I'll be there as well and answering your questions. S store them up. Get them ready for Larry, and he'll be ready for you come this, uh, come this uh, Monday. 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 Noon, right. to, noon, noon, until, uh, noon and 6. Noon and 6 is what we meant to say. Dina, thank you so much for being here. It is always so great to see you. It is great to see you, too. And Jim and Jane, hang on there a second. We're still live on YouTube after we get done uh, 
on the radio here, which we're about ready to go off of. So thank you so much for listening. Remember the number, 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. And we'll be back again next time with another edition of the Larry Rosenthal Show here on the radio. Take care. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.